transmission and strengthen our health facilities. Many more people would have gotten ill and many more lives would have been lost. Had we not introduced an unprecedented social and economic relief package, many more businesses would have closed and many more jobs would have been lost and indeed many more people would have gone hungry. Not only did these measures provide vital and needed support to those most affected by the pandemic, they also established a foundation for the recovery of our economy. Due to the decline in COVID infections, also due to the decline in hospital admissions and deaths, and thanks to the levels of vaccination and people immunity or herd immunity, as they say, we have entered a new phase in the management of the pandemic. We have been able to remove almost all restrictions on the social and economic activity, enabling our people and our businesses to almost move back to pre-COVID days. We are learning to live, we are also learning to work and to build back and reconstruct with the virus in our midst. This fourth investment conference could not be taking place at a better time, just as the country is casting off the long shadow of the pandemic and embarking on a concerted and determined recovery. We are not unaware of the challenges our country faces, and there are many. We know that our challenges are huge, they are gigantic, they are also complex and they are also protracted. But we are neither defined by these challenges nor are we daunted by them. Rather, we are dedicated to surely, steadily, and decisively overcoming them. And I'm not here to pretend that these challenges are not real, because they are real. I'm also not here to downplay these challenges. But I am here to share with you about what has been done and what we are doing to meet the many challenges our country faces. I'm also here to say that the government of the Republic of South Africa is making progress along the difficult but necessary path of reform that we have embarked on some three years ago that we are starting to see some of the results that we envisaged. Nowhere is this difficult path more apparent than in the one sphere that really determines the life of our people and the economy of our country, which is energy. No economy can operate without a reliable supply of electricity. That is why we have undertaken the most extensive transformation of our energy sector in nearly a century. In December last year, ESCOM, our energy company, met its deadline of establishing a separate transmission entity 
and is set to complete the process of unbundling into separate entities for generation, transmission, and distribution by the end of this year. We are moving ahead to facilitate a competitive market for electricity generation and the establishment of an independent state-owned transmission company. We have a deficit of some 4,000 megawatts of energy supply due to the aging of our power stations and many other technical difficulties that they continue to experience. We are working with the private sector to fast-track investment to unlock a potential 4,000 of embedded generation. We have increased the licensing threshold for embedded generation projects from 1 megawatts to 100 megawatts, which has been widely welcomed by many in the business sector. Last year, we launched bid window six of our renewable energy independent power producer program, procurement program. This is going to add new generation capacity to the grid over the next two years, mainly through wind and solar power. And so, even as the country continues to experience intermittent load shedding, we are moving with pace and determination to bring new generation capacity online in the shortest possible time. We're doing so while undertaking the far-reaching reforms that will secure a reliable and affordable and sustainable supply of electricity well into the future. For South Africa's economy to realize its potential as a supplier of products, goods, to markets across the world, it needs roads, railways, and ports that work. While we undertake a range of measures to improve operational performance, we are also implementing structural reforms to increase investment, introduce new technologies and skills, and improve efficiency in all our rail and port infrastructure. This is work that is underway. The establishment of the Transnet National Ports Authority as a separate entity may not, at first glance, seem particularly transformational, but it is a long overdue structural reform that will have a profound effect on investment in our ports infrastructure. Transnet will soon start the process of providing third-party access to the freight rail network, a development that will encourage more efficient use of some of our country's most valuable infrastructure assets. Last week, we concluded the first significant spectrum auction in close to two decades. I've been told by players in that field that the auction was run along world standard rules and processes, and they just give a great deal of accolades to the way our independent communications authority ran the process. They said, world class. And that is a word I always want to hear, world class. So I was very pleased. 
Now, this is going to unlock valuable spectrum for mobile communications that will have significant benefits for consumers, for businesses, for ordinary people, and will facilitate the development of broadband infrastructure across the country. And some of the conditionalities they have to meet is to reach out into the deep rural areas of our country, enable connectivity in the villages, in the very deep areas of our country. Soon we'll be able, we'll be completing the migration of our TV signal from analog to digital, unlocking much of our country's digital potential. It has taken a long time, but as they say, it's better late, a little late than never. So this is what is happening now. Our state-owned enterprises have been a huge drain on the fiscus over the years. Our reform process is aimed at bringing this to an end and making sure that our state-owned enterprises are profitable and they run properly. Like many other countries, we are transforming our entire approach to state-owned enterprises so that they are better able to fulfill their vital social as well as economic functions. We have revised our critical skills list, which will enable us to attract skilled professionals to work and to do business in South Africa. It is our ambition to be an economy and a society that is open to the global skills, to global skills rather, that attracts talent, expertise, and innovation to South Africa. We are establishing a special unit in the presidency to deal with bureaucratic red tape that impedes the operation of good business and to improve the operating environment and to reduce the cost of doing business. These reforms are not insignificant, nor are they just superficial. They are contributing to an economy that despite the setbacks of the last two years is developing and transforming and moving forward. We can see the signs of this everywhere. We see this in Postman's Back, which is a small town in the Northern Cape where the country's largest concentrated solar-powered plant is being built as part of our renewable energy independent power producers program. That's the part of the country where it is, they say, as hot as hell. And there is a town that is called Hot as Hell. We see it in the upgrades to the passenger terminal at our Durban Harbor as part of a public-private partnership with Transnet. It can be seen at the Toyota plant in KwaZulu-Natal where the first hybrid vehicle produced in South Africa is being manufactured. It can be seen in Cape Town, where NAND SA vaccine manufacturing campus is being built. Dr. Song will be with us tonight and he will tell us about his own origins and where he's been in the world and why he has come back home to South Africa to invest. It can be seen in Kabecha, in the Eastern Cape, where the largest pharmaceutical manufacturing site 
in Africa, owned by Aspen Pharmacare, South African company, is, which is also partly owned by workers, is producing products for domestic consumption and export of a pharmaceutical nature. These are all the places where investment commitments that have been made and announced here at previous conferences are being realized, where plants are being built, where jobs are being created, and where production is underway. We are supporting these investments with a renewed focus on expanding the country's economic and social infrastructure. We've established the Infrastructure Fund with a 100 billion rand allocation from the Fiscus over 10 years to leverage blended financing from private investors and multilateral development banks for infrastructure. We have prepared <clears throat> a pipeline of projects in water, in sanitation, in bridges, in energy, in transport, digital infrastructure, agriculture, agro-processing, as well as human settlements. Construction on a number of these catalytic projects is underway and many of them will be commencing later this, this year. A presidential climate finance task team has been established to lead the mobilization of the funds <clears throat> for our just transition to a low carbon economy. This will be headed by former Reserve Bank Deputy Governor Daniel Minene. This task team will lead engagements on the 131 billion rand just transition partnership with the European Union, <clears throat> France, Germany, the United Kingdom, and the United States. This partnership will involve repurposing and repowering <clears throat> some of the coal plants that are reaching the end of their lives and creating new livelihoods for workers, for communities, who are going to be most impacted by the change. All this work is part of the economic recovery, reconstruction and recovery plan that we put in place in October 2020 in response to the devastation to our economy by COVID-19. And it is aimed at driving growth, creating more jobs in the aftermath of the pandemic. The measures that form part of the plan underpin the social compact that we are building among social partners, and they being specifically business, labor, community, constituency, as well as government. This is a unique South African process where we sit down with all these key social players and craft agreements and this time round we're seeking to craft a new consensus. A new consensus that will draw together the resources, the capabilities and the efforts of all sections of society to achieve our common goal of a rapid and sustained recovery. We see this social compact in action through initiatives such as the Youth Employment Service, which is a collaboration between government and business to provide work experience and jobs to unemployed youth in our country, and there are many of them. We see it at work in the presidential employment stimulus, 
which has provided job and livelihood opportunities for over 800,000 people in the 17 months since it was established in response to COVID-19. We see this social compact at work in our infrastructure program, in the several industries that have developed master plans to expand investment and production and in our determined skills development programs. This is supported by a macroeconomic framework that is clear, that is stable, and that is prudent as well. We're working to steadily reduce our deficit and debt burden. And we are shifting public spending away from consumption and servicing our debt towards supporting capital investment, productive activity, yes, as well as social development. Distinguished guests and ladies and gentlemen, it is nearly four years since we embarked on the ambitious drive, as Minister Patel was saying, to raise 1.2 trillion rand in new investment over five years. Now, despite the impact of the pandemic, by the time of the third South African Investment Conference in 2020, we had raised and we had had pledged a total of 774 billion rand in investment commitments. We are two-thirds of the way to reaching our target. Now, of the 774 billion committed, around 316 billion has so far been invested, and the rest is in the way of being processed. Of the 152 investment pledges, 45 projects have been completed. A further 57 are under construction. 15 have been put on hold in several cases due to the impact of the pandemic. The investments that have been realized since our first conference have created jobs, have increased localization, and have expanded local value chains. They have brought skills, they've also brought technology and know-how into our economy. Whether it is a young person employed in a data center, a worker at an auto plant, or a small business supplier to a renewable energy plant, these investments are impacting on the lives of a number of our people, and I wish it was all of our people, but there are always these limits. The chance to earn a decent livelihood is fundamental to the dignity and the worth of every human being. And it is these investments that are making the difference. Today, at this fourth South African Investment Conference, many companies, and represented by many of you here, will come forward to make new investment commitments. And we thank you for being here, and we thank you for having the investment determination to come forward and make those pledges. You will do so because you see opportunity in this country. You see beyond the difficulties and the challenges, and that is why you will come to this platform 
and make those pledges. You also see the reform process that is underway that is bearing fruit. You see an open society that has enabled us to weather many storms, and there have been many storms. You also see a strong and vibrant democracy, a diverse media, and an active civil society. These are enshrined also, their rights are also enshrined in our constitution. But you also see durable institutions. You see, for you to invest, you see that there's an independent judiciary in our country and the rule of law. After a decade of state capture, you see a country that is confronting corruption and criminality, a country that is rebuilding its law enforcement agencies and strengthening the capacity of the state. You also see a well-regulated banking, financial and taxation system and a transparent budget process in operation in South Africa. As investors, you see a constitution that enshrines the rights of employers and employees alike, that advances the rights of the landless in our country, as it does those of property owners, that protects workers and businesses, and that prevents the arbitrary exercise of power. As we continue along this path of reconstruction and recovery, I call on all investors, entrepreneurs, and business people to be part of this journey, for we have embarked on a journey of reform, a journey of recovery, and a journey of rebuilding this country brick by brick, street by street, and infrastructure project by infrastructure project. As investors, you need to know that your investments are secure and that the operating environment in South Africa is stable and that you are supported by policy certainty and regulatory safeguards that we are putting in place. You need to know that the measures that we are taking to tackle crime and the damage to infrastructure are having an effect. Your investments are making a difference in local economies and the lives of our people. We therefore invite you to be part of South Africa's growth story. We invite you to be part of a young, dynamic, resilient nation, positioning itself at the front and at the forefront of progress and change. We are forging ahead to transform our economy, to unlock our country's potential, and to create meaningful livelihoods for all our people. Along the way, yes, there will be challenges, there will be hurdles, but we are determined to overcome. And we are determined also to leave no one behind in South Africa. I therefore invite you, as you make your pledges today, to join us in this journey, a wonderful journey of rebuilding South Africa. Thank you very much.
Ladies and gentlemen, it is an open invitation to be a part of South Africa's growth story, to be a part of a story about reforms, about reconstruction, about recovery, and about rebuilding. A big thank you to President Cyril Ramaphosa. Ladies and gentlemen, we're moving on to a special address now that we're going to hear from an African optimist. An African optimist who's not only shaping the narrative of an Africa-led growth, but is certainly proving the business case for an Africa-led growth through the African Development Bank. Please help me welcome the president of the African Development Bank, Dr. Akanumi Adesina. Your Excellency, President Cyril Ramaphosa, President of the Republic of South Africa, and my dear big brother, the Premier David Makura of Houghton Province, members of South Africa's Parliament, Honorable Ministers, Your Excellencies, Ambassadors, Business Leaders, Investors, Distinguished Ladies and Gentlemen, good morning. Thank you, Your Excellency, Mr. President, for such an inspiring, visionary speech loaded with incredible results. Now, please let me express my personal feeling before I start. This is a very responsive, focused, determined, and uncountable president. Mr. President, you're way too modest for all of what you have achieved. And as you realize those numbers, please, I would like us to rise and really applaud him because it's a fantastic job the president has done. Thank you very much. Your Excellency President Sir Maposa, thank you very much for the great honor and invitation to join you today and to speak at the 2022 South Africa Investment Conference. Of course, I'm delighted to be here with your junior sister, Grace. I remember in 2018 when you came up with this idea of a South Africa Investment Conference. It was at the same time that the African Development Bank and its partners were establishing the African Investment Forum here in Johannesburg. They say, Great minds think alike. Well, I think visionaries also do. They see the big picture of success long before others do. You are visionary. You were bold. You understood that the economy, for it to grow, South Africa needed to expand private sector investments and to create jobs. Investors responded positively. They saw an economy powered by a business-savvy president who acts like a chief executive officer. And they show their interest and support with their checkbooks. The South Africa Investment Conference has mobilized 774 billion rands. Congratulations, Mr. President. Congratulations, South Africa. 
The point was made loud and clear. South Africa is bankable. Your Excellencies, ladies and gentlemen, I have seen President Amaposa in action in Africa and globally. He treats every engagement as he, he is in a boardroom. He even sold some of the Ancoli cows on his farm and struck hard bargains, including for Cinderella, for Zaria, and Fafa, which he sold to a family member, no discount. What a deal maker, Mr. President. President Ramaphosa, with incredulous zeal and resolute and disarming calmness, with sophisticated hands like somebody on the spindle, weaves every deal tread into beautiful investment tapestries. I can tell you, President Ramaphosa is South Africa's number one salesman to the world. I have watched him turn adversity into business opportunity, even amid COVID-19 pandemic, as he positions South Africa as the solutions provider for vaccines. Today, the world has turned to South Africa's BioVac and Aspen Pharmacare to manufacture vaccines in South Africa. Today, thanks to his leadership and business savviness, Johnson & Johnson set up the continent's first mRNA vaccine manufacturing plant to supply 300 million doses. Not only is South Africa the leading industrialized country in Africa, it is also a pace setter. Thanks to South African scientists and leadership, Omicron was identified even before the world woke up. I watched President Ramaphosa push for waiver of trade-related intellectual property rights at the World Trade Organization to assure the production of vaccines, turning intellectual property rights to where it counts towards life, towards the production, local manufacturing of life-saving vaccines, especially in Africa. When the African Development Bank and its partners which includes Development Bank of South Africa, Africa 50, AfriExim Bank, Trade and Development Bank, Africa Finance Corporation, the Islamic Development Bank, and the European Investment Bank organized the first Africa Investment Forum right here, right in the same place at the Sandin Center in Johannesburg. President Ramaphosa supported us fully, together with Premier David Makura of, uh, of Houghton. He joined us as we marketed deals and projects to global investors. It was the spirit of Ubuntu. I am because you are. The inaugural African Investment Forum in 2018 brought together project sponsors from 24 countries right here in Johannesburg. In less than 24 hours, in what looked like a really breezy morning actually, it was a little bit cold, deals warmed up the corridors of the Santin Convention Center. Investment deals worth $38.7 billion were secured. It was a landmark for Africa. We were back right here in Johannesburg for the Africa Investment Forum in 2019, and deals worth $40.1 billion were also secured within 
less than 72 hours at the Africa Investment Forum. There's something about the Santin Convention Center. I think great things happen from here. Among the deals already closed for South Africa includes a $500 million for Africa Infrastructure Investment Fund, $350 million for a beef processing project in South Africa. Among them also is a $25 billion liquefied natural gas project for Mozambique, which will make it the third largest producer of liquefied natural gas in the world. And I would like to thank you especially, Mr. President, because that investment had some projects in the Cabo Delgado area. I want to thank you for your outstanding leadership and those of the SADC heads of state and government and that of President uh, Kagame of Rwanda that made it happen. The place is stable now. Thank you very much, Mr. President. And the beat goes on. Last week, the Africa Investment Forum investment boardrooms for 2021, earlier postponed due to Omicron, held virtually. With 300 investors from around the world, it was all about deals, deals, and deals. Again, within 72 hours, it secured $32.8 billion worth of investment interest for projects in Africa. This includes $15.6 billion for the Lagos to Abidjan Highway Corridor, a $3.5 billion railway project to connect Tanzania, Burundi, Democratic Republic of Congo, and Rwanda. The deals also included a $140 million health fund right here in South Africa to provide access to world-class oncology care. So in just three years, the Africa Investment Forum, which we started right from here, has become Africa's premier investment marketplace, mobilizing $100 billion of investment interest to Africa. Ladies and gentlemen, Your Excellency, Africa is bankable. Your Excellencies, the African Development Bank believes in South Africa. You can see it in what we do. The bank's current portfolio of investment in South Africa totals $3.2 billion. The African Development Bank's current financing to South Africa's private financial sector amounts to 16.5 billion rands, or $1.1 billion, including support to the Development Bank of South Africa and lines of credit and trade finance facilities to leading domestic banks. The African Development Bank provided a loan of 6.2 billion rands or $413 million to Transnet, which His Excellency Mr. President mentioned. This has allowed Transnet to modernize its rolling stock fleet, acquire new rolling stock, and increase its freight capacity by 120% from 80 metric tons to 176 metric tons. We provided a total of 48 billion rands, that's $3.2 billion to the energy sector, which His Excellency Mr. President also mentioned, including ESCOM's capital expenditure and the Medupi Power Project. Your Excellency, distinguished and gentlemen, the bank has since gradually shifted our financing towards renewable energy. We supported the 100 megawatt Seri wind power plant with 884.9 million rands or $69 million. 
We supported Zina 100 and megawatts solar concentrated power plant with 1.45 billion rands. And last year, Mr. President, we financed the Redstone 100 megawatts solar project with 2.3 billion rands or $152 million. Mr. President, I did ask you to please help us unlock or block the challenges being faced for this project. I was excited when you talk about the presidential unit in your office. You did, and you brought it back on track. Your intervention, Mr. President, paid off. Eight days ago, the Redstone Solar Project was awarded the African Renewable Deal of the Year by the prestigious IG Global, IJ Global Journal. Congratulations again. We supported the Medupi Coal Power Plant. We will now move to support the drive towards renewable energy strongly in South Africa as you drive towards net zero emissions. Mr. President, I salute your leadership and commitment in driving energy transition for South Africa. As South Africa moves towards energy transition, the African Development Bank will strongly support your efforts. Distinguished ladies and gentlemen, net zero cannot be achieved with zero financing. The African Development Bank is preparing a six billion rand support, which will be $400 million towards the support of ESCOM in its transition to renewable energy. I applaud the G7 countries for their commitment of $8.5 billion to South Africa's just energy transition. Mr. President, the African Development Bank, working in partnership with international partners, especially the G7 countries, plans to establish a just energy transition facility that will support South Africa to raise at least $27 billion to support its energy transition into renewable energy. We will do it, Mr. President, without South Africa getting into debt, and that's very important. This will transform South Africa into a global leader in energy transition. It will move South Africa away from coal into renewable energy. It will reduce pollution and negative externalities of impacts of carbon emissions on health and the environment. It is an excellent opportunity to recalibrate the Southern African economy, to generate thousands and thousands of green jobs, empower new green industries for a more competitive economy for South Africa. Mr. President, you can count on the African Development Bank. We will help you to make it work. We promise we deliver. Mr. President, because you are also a big shareholder of the African Development Bank, it's important for me to say to you and to South Africans that you can be proud of the African Development Bank, your bank. In 2021, the African Development Bank was ranked the best multilateral financial institution in the world by Global Finance, the renowned U.S. financial magazine. The African Development Bank strongly supports South Africa's investment compass. 
from energy to infrastructure, the establishment of agro-industrial parks to support the private sector, small and medium-sized enterprises to create jobs for the youth especially, as you said, Mr. President, we will provide robust support. Your Excellency, Mr. President, and therefore delighted to announce that the African Development Bank will commit 42.5 billion rands, that's $2.8 billion, to South Africa over the next five years. This financing will support public and private sector investments in priority areas that you have laid out of agriculture, renewable energy, transport, youth employment, health, vaccines manufacturing, among others. We know South Africa is bankable. Your Excellency, Mr. President, ladies and gentlemen, the African Development Bank will be by your side as South Africa powers its economy forward for a more glorious future, a greater and better future, with quality jobs for South Africa's youth, a greater and better future for South Africa's resilient women. Yes, for South Africa's youth and women, because when the youth and the women win, South Africa wins. I believe in South Africa. If you believe in South Africa, say I do. Thank you very much. President Adesina, I think the I do was a little bit muted. I think let's try it again. Ladies and gentlemen, I do. I think that was a little bit better. That big thank you to uh, the African, uh, the president of the African Development Bank. Africa is bankable, ladies and gentlemen. South Africa is bankable. The AFDB believes in South Africa, and that's reflected in a 42.5 billion rand investment, the equivalent of 2.8 billion US dollars. Ladies and gentlemen, as we move on in our program now, we are going to be moving into a panel discussion that is really going to be digging deep and delving into the South African investment case. It is my absolute pleasure to welcome the moderator of this session, and that is uh, Madame Mamuke Delijane. She's a macroeconomist at APSA Capital. And to also invite her panelists as she comes up as well, it's my singular pleasure to welcome Mr. Mark Kutifani onto stage, the CEO of Anglo-American PLC, to welcome Madame Puti Mahanyele Dabengwa, the South Africa CEO for NASPAS, as well as Mr. Adrian Gore, the founder and CEO of Discovery Limited. Ladies and gentlemen, let's give them a warm welcome as they make their way onto stage.
Oh, okay, yeah, sounds oh. like, it sounds like we're live. Is everybody else, can you? I can't hear you. Hello, I think we're live. Are we live? Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for um, attending this august occasion. Um, and good morning to all the dignitaries, the president, um, government officials, um, diplomatic people. Um, I'm going to just align my, um, my greetings to those that have been made before. I think they would be delivered or they have been de delivered much more eloquently than what I, um, I, can, I can manage. But um, welcome to this, um, this, this occasion and thank you for having myself as well as the people um, that are standing next to me um, to, to speak to you this morning. So my name is Mamuke Dijani. I am um, an economist and a strategist at APSA um, CIB. Um, to my left, I have got uh, Mark Tufani, who is the outgoing um, CEO of Anglo-American. Um, and and to, to, his, to his left is uh, Putumahanya Ledebengwa, the CEO of NASPA South Africa. And um, on the extreme left um, is Adrian Gore, who's the CEO of um, um, Discovery, Discovery um, Limited. Um, so mine is really, or ours, is really um, to sort of substantiate or bring businesses' view to all the um, inf infrastructure investment um, view that has been put in place today and put forward by the president um, as well as the, the, the CEO of the, um, of the African Development Bank. So um, without further ado, I think my first job is to sort of scale or, or outline the investment environment in South Africa or at least the um, performance of investment um, to date. And um, I'm just going to have a very brief overview, starting um, at, um, at, 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 uh, at in 1994 when um, democracy started. I think uh, the story of investment and investment growth in South Africa has been one that can be characterized in waves. So post-apartheid, you had the opening up of markets, the liberalization of um, quite a few industries, and you had quite a bit of dynamism coming through um, into that period. I think um, if you look at where investment um, numbers go, you started off, say, um, from uh, uh, um, 13, we're currently at 13% of um, GDP, GFC, and that is really low compared to global standards. So if you look at our global peers, you can see a China at around 48% of GDP um, investment um, to GDP, and you, you've got on the one hand, and on the low end, you've got Brazil at around 16%, and then you have South Africa at 13%. So clearly, South Africa is really far down um, as far as that metric is concerned. Concerned. What we have to think about, though, is is that is that an opportunity, or is that so? Or in a nutshell, I think what I'm trying to say is, what you see is a number that looks like it's behind its peers, but it also, I think, outlines how big the opportunity is for investment growth um, in, um, in, in, in South Africa. We've had a decade um, that has been pretty dif difficult. Um, I think if you look at investment growth in the, 20, in the 10 years to 20, um, 2021, 
um, growth was um, very miserable, or it was actually a contraction on average over the decade of about 3%. Um, and I think that really sets the stage and it says to us, we've got quite a bit to do, but um, also within that, it means that there, there is quite a lot of runway that we can exploit and opportunities that are probably um, remain on the table. So without um, you know, me taking up a lot of time, I'd like to really speak to the people that make the investment decisions, make the capital allocation decisions, um, and, and, and ask them in, in, in their estimation, where do they think um, the South African investment story is for themselves, um, um, their companies, and, and, and for business in general. So to start off with, I'm going to um, start with um, the oldest um, corporate um, of the three that I've got um, in front of us. The, el the, the one that was established the earliest, and I was surprised um, when I realized that that company was actually Naspers. Um, so I'm going to start um, with Puti. So Puti, what, your, your business is one um, that started off in media um, and moved on to what is essentially now consumer inter internet um, consumer and fintech. Um, where, where, where do you see the opportunities for yourselves um, and how do you see South Africa relative to NASPERS at this time? Thank you very much for the question and good morning Mr. President. Um, thank you very much for, for having us. What we have seen, I think when you look at NASPERS, we have been a business that has moved from being a media business to now being a 100% consumer internet business globally. And we have done that through the support of our stakeholders and particularly our, pay, our, you know, our shareholders. Um, our largest shareholder is the PIC. And as you know, the PIC is the asset manager for the government employees pension fund. And from that perspective, through having these you know, shareholders who are long-term shareholders, it has enabled us to be able to grow and, you know, and, 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 and to grow quite exponentially. And so today we are a business that is operating beyond South Africa in 100 markets around the world um, and, you know, serving 2 billion consumers. Um, and, and, and so from that perspective, we, we have seen how we've been able to, to scale um, significantly. I think when I look at, at, at our business, what really gives me a lot of, of encouragement and having listened to the speeches earlier as well, is the importance of us continuing to invest locally in South Africa. And so from that perspective, what we have looked at is how our businesses locally are supporting South Africans and growing South Africans. So if I look at, for instance, the NASPERS Foundry, which, which we started actually when the, the President's Investment Conference started, um, when, when we pledged, the, um, and, and that portion was a 1.4 billion rand of the portion that, that, that was pledged um, that year. Um, but that 1.4 billion rand went into the NASPERS Foundry, which is enabling early stage tech investors to be able to invest into a number of businesses, businesses that have been able to scale beyond South Africa. And I can give you examples. Um, you, you know, we have businesses such as Sweep South, which provides domestic cleaning services. Today, Sweep South 
is, you know, a business that is not only operating in South Africa, they're operating in Nigeria, in Egypt, and in Kenya. Um, if I look at um, a, a business um, such as, um, th there's an Equitech business that, that we invested into, Aerobotics, um, and they not only operate here in South Africa, but they're operating in the U.S. as well. Um, we've invested into insurtech businesses, an example is Naked, um, and, and, and Naked is a business that is making insurance affordable for its consumers. And so the reason that I look at entrepreneurs is the fact that if we didn't have access to, you know, capital that is there in the long term, it would have been difficult for us to be able to grow sustainably. But in addition to that, what is important is the fact that South Africa has these entrepreneurs who are very capable of growing successful businesses. And so we are very keen in supporting these entrepreneurs in South Africa to be able to scale, um, you know, and, and, and globally as well. Um, and, and, and in addition to that, we are also looking at supporting our youth here in South Africa. And, you know, South Africa being a country that has got a very youthful, uh, you know, population, we are providing digital skilling to our youth. Um, and so we've set ourselves a target to ensure that by 2024, we are able to, to uh, provide digital skilling and employment to 10,000 youth. And so from that perspective, we've been doing that. And just in this past year, in fact, we provided digital skilling uh, to 2,000 young people and employment to 1,600 young people. And this is part of us paying it forward. If you look at our existing businesses, Take a Lot is a business that is providing, um, you know, s small and medium-sized entrepreneurs with a platform to be able to operate their businesses. And when you look at the business today, you know, we have uh, 5,500, um, you know, entrepreneurs who are on that platform and are able to continue doing business. And we're able to do that through COVID because they are on the platform. In addition to that, Take a Lot is employing a number of drivers as well. Um, I think it's about 20,000 uh, drivers that, that we employ. Um, and, you know, it, so we, and, and that's through Mr. D and of course other parts of, of, of Take A Lot and Superbless and others. But, you know, so, so we, we look at, at, at all forms of being able to work with South African small businesses to, be enable, to enable them to be able to scale and become significant businesses globally. That is what we are focused on. Um, thanks a lot for that, Puti. Um, I'm gonna move. <laughs> I'm gonna move on to the second oldest um, business on, on on this particular platform, which is Anglo American. <laughs> um, that was a bit of a twist because I always I would have thought that Anglo American was the older business, but here we are. But um, Mark, yours is a like a behemoth of of, of, a, of an institution, um, which has mining investments in multiple jurisdictions in every single mineral um, that matters, um, pretty much um, in every geography that matters um, within the mining space. Um, and it has its origins in this country um, and is still a very big and very meaningful um, com company in this country. Uh, what, what is, what is the, the Anglo story? What do you see as the Anglo story with respect to South Africa, with respect to the challenges of investment um, and the opportunities that, that exist here. Well, thank you very much. It's, it's always interesting to compare the NASPA story and the Anglo-American story in terms of the industries we're in. They're so very different, but in many ways, 
the work we do is equivalent in terms of its criticality to um, how we support the world, how we support things that happen and things that people make and do, and most importantly, how it supports people. And uh, from our perspective, we often talk about mining driving 45% of the world's economy, and we make the things that literally make the world work. So that's always an important piece of context I start with. Um, in Anglo-American's case, we're a, a global company, uh, but today, given our roots and 104 years of South African heritage, um, it still represents 40% of our global earnings and a fairly similar amount in terms of our capital uh, deployment and, and new infrastructure. And in fact, uh, in terms of uh, the capital commitment we made back in uh, 2018, uh, we said about 85 uh, billion rand is what we would spend on a five-year basis going forward. Um, we've actually achieved that after four years and, and we'll be talking about the, the, the new targets uh, a little bit later today, but very important. And again, the story is about people. So investing in infrastructure, the policy settings that the country is setting up and still developing and continues to develop, as all countries should, very important for us in terms of having the certainty, being able to deliver a return to shareholders, but at the same time, we have to be able to deliver a return to communities, to our employees, and make sure we're making a difference in their lives, because if we're not, we're not a sustainable business. And in our particular case, there's an interesting statistic that I always look at for businesses, and in 2013, we were spending about 2% of our gross revenue on technology, new innovation, exploration, research and development. Today we're closer to 10%. And a great bulk of that expenditure is actually based here in South Africa. And most of our technical group, our global head of technology has his team based here. And this is where we're doing most of that work. And it touches on the new energy transition work that you'll he hear a bit more about. It touches all parts of our business, but it's also about investing in new infrastructure that communities will use, that schools can use in terms of helping them provide more efficient and effective education. So we touch every part of the community, and particularly in mining, where we're so visible in those locations and the impact we have on communities is so visible. The work we need to do with our communities is absolutely critical and being a supporter of developing those communities, capacitation, regional uh, collaborative develop are all programs that for us go with these investments and certainly from our point of view, it's about being a partner with South Africa in the future. So Mr. President, uh, Minister, you have our absolute commitment to be a partner in the long term and for everyone here in the audience and in South Africa, we're here for the long term, we're investors in the future and it's about people and making sure that we're making a real difference for the country. Thanks for that. Um, and now we move on to the new kid on the block. <laughs> The company that was founded in 1993, it was Adrian. Right. So, um, and it's the youngest of um, the, the companies present, represented here. So, um, 
Discovery is a, is a very interesting um, business. It, it's very much a new age um, kind of business, which is weird to say 93, and it, it's very much, it's a new age tech, um, the use of technology to enhance um, the delivery of product. Um, you started very much in financial services linked to healthcare, um, and you've now expanded um, your footprint uh, beyond just medical aid into banking, um, and you expanded your business beyond South Africa globally as well. Um, and, and again, it's, it's that, that, that story of a South African company that has gone out to do really interesting things in, um, in South Africa as well as globally um, transformative. Um, and, and how do you see yourselves right now relative to South Africa and relative to the investment story and the investment push that we have domestically? Well, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a complex question. I, I, I would say to you that, that interestingly, our, our business model started out of solving particular South African problems. You know, too few doctors, very high levels of disease burden, and our kind of insight of could you make people healthier, and in that process create a sustainable insurance model, uh, and that's what we did. It turns out that that applies to all different kinds of financial services, and it's globally applicable, and I think post-COVID even more so. So, you know, we have always been pretty clear. We're a proudly South African company. We hope very, we hope with, with uh, we, we really hope strongly that we are seen as an exemplar of what can be achieved through entrepreneurship, through a South African skills base, South African capital. We're an entirely South African-built company, but we're global now in 30 markets. Um, the model is highly applicable and it's great for society. There's no downside at all. So we're trying our best to expand it as much as possible. But I guess an important point to make is that the bulk of our capital investment is back in South Africa. So while we're globally expanding, uh, the capital heavy stuff we're doing is here in South Africa. The return on capital is excellent. The scale of the market uh, is big. And uh, we're investing a huge amount, probably three billion or up a year uh, on new business and new businesses in South Africa. The bank itself is a, a big investment. So, so our hope is that we can obviously be globally successful. We can be an example about what South African companies can do uh, and we can illustrate, I think, very clearly that uh, capital invested here earns a superior return and the scale is remarkable. So we are, we are as you know, deep at work uh, fighting hard in the trenches with our competitors, but very proudly South African uh, and a strong belief um, that we can make a real difference socially and financially. Um, and I, again, I think what's, what's maybe important is what comes out of often complexity in South Africa, the solutions become applicable both here and globally. So, you know, we are, are focused on that and, and excited about what we can do for our country. Um, I think just to follow up on that, I mean, it's a follow-up question of what the, the last statement that you just made. Um, you know, the president has outlined, and the presidency in general, they've outlined um, this quite expansive reform agenda. Um, and we often, you know, complain that they're not moving fast enough. Um, what do you think we as business um, can do um, on our end to expedite um, some of those reforms um, to the extent that it's within our, our sphere of, of influence and control um, and also you know, to take advantage um, for our shareholders and our stakeholders of those reforms as they come in. You're yes, asking. You. Well, I, I, think that the, I think one of the strengths of the reforms is that there doesn't seem to be much disagreement you know, organized business together with the presidency and, and uh, social partners have laid out six distinct kind of work streams and there's no ambiguity. We have to get them done and, and done quickly. 
Um, I think we need, to, uh, we need to deliver. I don't think there's debate about the actual work streams. I think we need to expedite, move quickly, and execute. We've set, and the president has laid this out, this 100-day target. We need to get that in place. We need to get work streams on the ground, people accountable. So I actually think there's not much debate. We need to execute. I think there's no shortcut whatsoever. I think business can and must be a critical part of helping government in that regard. Uh, Discovery and many others here were party to the, the vaccine rollout. I think it is an incredibly powerful example of what business and government can, can do together. You know, from something that was seen to be intractable, we could never do it, we did it very quickly. So our view is, is get this done quickly. Okay. Um, and and, and one question for you, um, Putin. So you have uh, businesses, NASPERS, um, all over the continent, you're, you're, you're on the continent, you're on a lot of, in, in a lot of other emerging markets, you're in India, you're in China, um, and there must be some learnings that, you know, that you can take from your experiences in other, in other locales that could be useful for South Africa. Is there anything that, that you would point out to as a, as a particularly salient, um, you know, and, and yes. useful? Sure, no, no, thank you very much. Um, I think we, we, we have learned and, and, and continue to, to implement the learnings that we've received from countries such as China, India, and, and other um, countries. Um, and, and one thing that, that I can say is the fact that collaboration is something that has been very helpful for us in our growth. Um, and so if I look at the work that we're doing in NASPERS Labs, um, we're doing work with the CETAs, um, which are very helpful in us being able to, to, to provide the skilling and um, employment of, of, of youth as well. So, so working uh, closely with them. Um, and, and then also, you know, I think beyond that, you know, the president mentioned um, that, you know, the Minister of Communications um, and uh, Digital Technologies um, has, um, you know, now um, launched the, the, the spectrum uh, allocation, which is, was launched so successfully. And I think when you look at that, I mean, this is a minister who's been in her portfolio for less than a year, and she's already done this. And, you know, it, 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 it just shows you the capability that is there within the cabinet of South Africa. And I'm just so proud as a South African to be able to, to, to look at her and say, you know, this is somebody who is showing direction for where technology can take us. And I really think that as South Africa, we are in such a great position to be able to position ourselves as a country that can really play a significant role just through looking at an area such as producing digital skills using our youthful population to produce digital skilling and, and, and being able to play a significant role in the digital market. Because right now, we, we still continue to be a net importer of skilling, but we have the capability to become a net exporter of, of, of those skills. And, and there are many different areas, but what we found is that in working closely with government, it really helps us a lot. I mean, just yesterday, um, I, I was engaging with the Deputy Minister of Higher Education. And, you know, that type of collaboration is, is really, really helpful in being able to formulate, you know, solutions that are helpful. It, it's in having private sector and public sector organizations working together. So that is what we are doing, and, and that is what is really helping us. Um, Mark, the world is a very complex place and just when you think you've dealt with one problem, another one emerges. So um, we, we're sort of at the tail end of the COVID shock, we think. 
Um, commodity prices have been extremely strong, um, but it's, it's questionable how long um, that will continue to be the case. You've now got conflict um, in, in Russia um, with Ukraine. You've got um, the Chinese property market, which is wobbly, and you don't quite know where that's going to end up. You've got um, the Fed and other um, central banks um, tightening monetary policy, um, and that could have profound implications for the cost of capital. Um, what, what, how do you navigate these sort of challenges with respect to the commitment that you can make of capital in this country? That's a big question. Um, I think the first thing as business leaders we can do and should be doing is try and understand and take the time to understand the president's strategy for the country. The way we think about uh, and, and internalize the conversations in our organization in defense of democracy, making sure the people have a voice and that voice is reflected through their representatives, judiciary, the integrity of the judiciary. Third, the capacity and the effectiveness of the bureaucracy and building capacity of government to do its job, to set the policy frameworks, to deal with everyone fairly, ethically, and in an appropriate way, and to make sure that we've got the policy frameworks that allow business, communities, all members of society to work with each other in a fair and ethical way is the starting point and the building a platform. And as business, we've got a responsibility to stand up and speak responsibly in support of those initiatives and talk about what we can do to support the government in making sure those issues are achieved. There is no value in being destructive and unsupportive and in all countries. Politicians' jobs are the toughest jobs in the world. In my case, I can actually make decisions and with the executive team execute. Uh, the one thing that does differ differentiate us is we're not a democracy. <laughs> and whilst at times I know some leaders would prefer they not be a democracy, at the end of the day we have to listen to the voice of the people and do what we can to support. And as a business, we have to support our political leaders because they've got the toughest job on the planet. And that's what we do recommend. So we, we have to speak responsibly, we have to be supportive, but most importantly, we then have to do stuff where we have the skills and abilities to make a difference. So infrastructure, energy, the energy transition, water projects and getting water to communities. It's, if you look at South Africa, we don't have a land problem. We have a development problem, which is an opportunity. So investment in energy, water, transport, education, health and services, those structures is where we can make a difference. And at the end of the day, we get the benefit because the more efficient those processes and infrastructures are, the more efficient we can be as a business. And so making sure that we understand the agenda, we speak responsibly and we're supportive, and there we're, we're putting in place the infrastructure, and I can't speak more eloquently in terms of training people, developing people, 
all those pieces come together. And Adrian's work in terms of leading the COVID response and coordinating businesses' activities, that's the sort of thing we can do to make a difference. And so we have to be part of the solution and not just leave it to a politician or a public servant. We're all in this together. We have to be part of the solution. So I think for, for some of us who are um, a little bit less old than Mark, um, and we know that he's about to retire, it's, it's a really good learning that we need to take, um, you know, that, that he's just delivered. We're part of the solution. But I mean, my, 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 I mean, I'd like to ask my question again to Adrian. Adrian, like, the world's a challenging place. Um, and as, as South Africans, we make decisions, but we're also subject to all the other pressures and all the other changes um, in the global environment. Where, where, where do you think we are relative to that global cycle and does it influence at all your decisions around what you're going to do next? You know, I'd, I'd like to make a point, I hope it's not controversial, but the, the issue of narrative versus reality is very, very important. I think especially in the South African context. The, the, I think the investment opportunity tactically is that the narrative is much worse than the reality. And if you're an astute investor, that's where, you know, you can make super returns if you do that properly. And, you, you know, the narrative here is negative continuously, yet the country is more resilient than people think. You know, so if you look at our GDP, you know, we've crunched the numbers around volatility of growth rates. Our GDP is growing way too slowly, but it's pretty stable. It doesn't kind of, it's, it's anything but risky, yet I think the narrative is it's highly risky. Um, the other important point to make is that uh, it's resilient in the face of all kinds of issues. I recall during the, the COVID lockdown, the, the smartest economists, and I have great respect for them, and we listen to the same voices, predicted it would take us, I think, five years to get back to a pre-COVID uh, 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 level of, of, of economic growth, uh, economic scale. The reality is we're nearly there now. And now we come to this Ukraine uh, situation. It's a, it's a terrible tragedy, and uh, amazingly, it turns out that we are quite resilient. The very, the very, uh, and Mark would know this certainly better than I do, but the, 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 the very exports that we're going to be starved of as the world, South Africa produces, we compete with Russia and Ukraine. So we're kind of more resilient than the others. So you could call it, you could call it luck and fortune. I think we must understand that the economy is resilient and it's bigger than I think people give it credit for. I mean, just to make the point, you know, we've now been exposed to the Ukraine, to the, you watch what's going on, you get a size of the, a country I never knew much about, you know, and you see the size of the exports and what they do. I have to tell you that if you do the numbers, the size of Gauteng's economy is nearly as big as the Ukraine. I don't think people actually know that, you know. Anecdotes like, I think the Cape Town Joburg air route is the 10th busiest in the world. Now we tend to see South Africa in a, in this kind of almost small, unsophisticated way, it's not. And, and I think we need to adopt a much more, a much more realistic view and change the narrative um, of the country. Um, I, think, I think that's very, very important. We always like, you know, you think, oh, there's a pothole outside my house. This country's going to the docks. They're never gonna get anything right, of course. You know, <laughs> you, it's a very narrow way of, um, of thinking about the country. Um, Puti, just coming, to you, um, and I know later on there is going to be a, a, a discussion around um, African integration, etc. Um, but I just wanted to bring this in here as well. You are a business that has a presence pretty much all, all over the continent. No, 
not, but quite a bit of it. In, yeah, in South is Africa. It, is it just South Africa? Yes. Oh, so you, from NASPERS' perspective, yes. you don't? Yeah, NASPERS is in South Africa, and then we're in the other markets. In the other markets. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, yeah. but you, you have a sense of what that, the, the, pos the potential for regional integration um, would be for your business. Um, how are you thinking about that? Because South Africa is at the southernmost tip of Africa, but it has a big impact on the rest yeah. of the continent. Absolutely. I mean, what are, you, what are your thoughts around, around that as a, as a potential um, underpin for an investment story on, in this country as well? Absolutely. I, I think we, we, we certainly need to, to engage a lot more. Um, so, so whilst NASPERS Limited is, is, is not all over the continent, our underlying investments, um, such as PayU and, and other businesses, um, for example, some of our investments um, are in the rest of the continent. Um, and I mentioned, for example, uh, Sweep South, which is in Egypt and Nigeria and, and in Kenya. Um, so what, what we see is that there's a lot of potential for us if we were able to engage a, a lot better, collaborate a lot better. Um, we see, we've seen a lot of um, significant capital flows into the African continent, um, but going significantly into Nigeria um, and, and other parts of, of, of the African continent, um, Kenya and, and, and other parts. I think South Africa actually was, at the beginning of the year, was the third uh, you know, recipient in terms of the investment flow for tech uh, capital coming onto the continent. Um, and, and I think through cooperation, us working, you know, engaging together, that, that's what really helps us. Um, and, and, and what we see is just through engaging with our counterparts in various parts of the African continent, it, it really helps us in being able to, to continue to scale um, the businesses that, that we invest in. So I think that kind of collaboration amongst countries is something that's very important. The question of Africa, I yeah. think, is a really important one. Today, Africa is home to 40% of the world's natural resources. Yeah. South Africa has, in my view, the greatest skills base and its own great potential in terms of resources. But we're already a hub for mining with, and, and with infrastructure, we provide energy, and other support to other jurisdictions. When we talk about this uh, century, and people say it's a century of Asia, our view is the second half of this century will belong to Africa. Because today, to navigate the energy transition and a whole range of other new developments, we do not have the natural resources to support the transition to a more environmentally friendly and people friendly world. And Africa's going to be key and South Africa can play the leading role in developing the potential of the continent. And no one else has the potential we have to play that role in the world and the growth of the world on a global scale. Adrian, have you got a thought? Have you got any thoughts on, on the question? Of like the Africa story, African integration, where, where you, how you guys are thinking. Well, well absolutely, in our space in healthcare, which I'd argue is also one of the biggest industries in the world, and in terms of Africa is highly underdeveloped. It's a massive, massive, nascent industry. You know, so 
the skills based to Mark's point, a lot of it is sitting here in terms of all aspects. We are now for the first time in five countries in Africa trying to get our kind of the vitality health end-to-end -end health model into these countries and uh, the receptivity has been quite remarkable. So, you know, on where we, where we kind of sit, um, these are areas of just considerable opportunity, you know, and scale. But they're not easy, you know, no market I think uh, is easy. You, know? yeah. you make the mistake of thinking you've done it in a very complex environment, you're, ra you know, you're rapidly repeating scale, it's not easy. But, but I think Africa offers massive potential. I think in things like healthcare and health insurance down the line, we these are huge markets that are, are kind of there for the taking. But you've got to be smart and you've got to offer real value. Consumers are smart, they know what they want. So, yeah. hard work ahead. Yeah, every time I think about the Africa challenge, because I've heard people say, well, it's never going to work. Well, it's so difficult. And I always say it always looks impossible until it's done. So just because it looks hard now doesn't mean it can never be done. So that would be my sort of view of, um, of the issue. Um, I think we're coming to a close now of this discussion. So I'm going to ask two, two, two more rounds of questions. Just one, you know, the first round is, you know, if you could have one thing, one thing, and say this is the one thing um, that I think if it were done would be the, there's never any definitive things, but there's certain levers that are, are, are particularly salient in, within, a, within a context. And if you could ha ask for one thing um, to be done um, within the policy space, what would it be? Just one. Puti? I'll start with you. You've been quite quiet. If there was one thing. One thing. I think skilling. Okay. Skilling is, is, is key for our youth. We've got a youthful population. Let us ensure that we are providing that youth with the skilling that they require for them to be significant economic participants. Mm -hmm. we, we have the ability to, to, to grow much faster and, and to be a much bigger playing, a player in the global economy. And, and let's use that ability that we have through our youth. Um, I think if we could look at ensuring that our youth have access to skilling, to jobs, experience, that is what we, we really need to, to, to be focusing on from my perspective. Okay. Yeah. Adrian, one thing? Sure, mine may be a bit soft um, if you ask one thing, but I, I'm, I'm a believer in the narrative. I think if, if one, th one thing, if we, could, if, if we could appreciate what we have and what's at risk and change the narrative, I think all else tends to flow from that. Um, and I, I make the point, I think for the first time we have this set of six work streams. There's no ambiguity. If we can deliver on that 100 days, just get to a point of some delivery under the president and it's clear, I think the effect on the psyche, on the narrative will be powerful. So I would be pushing for delivery on that plan quickly and changing the narrative. And as leaders here, we can do that. Mark? Well, firstly, I think they are two great ideas. So uh, if I add another one, um, if we can, and, and we're seeing how the president and the cabinet and, and government are, are trying to think through and bring everyone together in this initiative, and this forum mm -hmm. is all about that approach. So how do we, and this is a problem for all countries. It's not peculiar to South Africa, but we've got so much we can deliver if we can get this right. And taking both points is how do we 
bring, I think the COVID response was a great example of how business, government, civil society came together through the Solidarity Fund, working on a very obvious objective in terms of looking after people. If we can take that approach and integrate government and government policy through the government, connect that with business, and each of us then develop our plans for execution together in the next couple of years, there'll be no stopping South Africa deliver the potential we can, to, to, can see today and beyond. So those are very strong, um, strong additions, I think, to, to the discussion. So final, final question. Um, so we're all of us um, South African citizens and adopted South Africans <laughs> on the side. Um, and we, we're fathers, we're um, maybe grandfathers, I don't know. We are mothers, we are cousins, we are daughters. Um, and we, we're ba basically just normal people. And I think that gets lost often when we have these discussions around um, $300 billion worth of capital. But uh, and as, as an individual, beyond your position as CEO, um, whatever, but as an individual and as a person who lives in relation to other people um, in, and in South Africa, what, what is your hope? For, for this country and you know what is your what are your hopes and dreams what are the things that get you moving the things that get you emotionally about about this country what would I, be your yeah your reflections on that i believe in this country i believe in the leadership of this country that is why i live here and i'm invested here i i, I my future is here the future of my family is here. And that is why for me, seeing a successful South Africa, a successful Africa is so important. Because when we travel on holiday as a family and we go to different parts of the continent, you, 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 you want to continue to feel as excited all the time. And, and I remember just a, a few months ago when we were in Tanzania and seeing the speed rail you, you know, these are things that, 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 that give you such excitement, you know, because you see growth, you see opportunity. And, and that is why I believe that we have the ability to grow beyond where we are. That is why I'm here. Adrian? It's a, again, a complex question. I, I mean, I'm kind of upset and annoyed by the short-termism of how people feel. It's a beautiful country and the people are remarkable. They are resourceful, they are tolerant. They really like each other, you know? D despite our past, people get on well. It's an amazing place, it's a beautiful place. But there's a, there's a strange paradox of, of, in most places people are having a tough time now, but I think the future will be better. Here it's the opposite way around. People, in many cases, are doing quite well now. We obviously have unemployment and terrible levels of, of poverty. We have to deal with that. But, but people don't really appreciate the opportunities now. You know, when I hear about political uncertainty, potential civil unrest, economic risk, it's the exact same chapter headings that we started Discovery in 1992. Exactly the same. And I'm here, sitting here, because I invested together with my colleagues and others fled. You know, and that is the difference. And my hope is that I think, it's not just hope, I think as leaders we have a burden of responsibility to deliver, uh, in reality to change the narrative, 
um, and to give people a, a long-term view of what's, what the potential can be. And I think the country has, if we can get that right, I think unlimited potential. And Mark? The things we talk about, we talk about development, investments, infrastructure, schools, health. In the end, they're all things we can do to make a difference. But ultimately, the true measure of the success we achieve is are we giving, if, are we giving every South African the opportunity to be who they want to be? That's what success looks like. Um, I think because of the, the late start, our, the time for this panel was cut a bit short. So we're going to leave it there. Uh, but I am really, really grateful for these amazing South Africans and adopted South Africans um, reflections on, on this country, um, commitment to this country. And, and, and to some extent, it feels like they might see this country a little bit better um, than, than some of us do. Um, and, and I think it's, it's been a, an amazing conversation. Um, and, and we're really, really grateful. And I hope we all um, learn something. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a very big thank you to our moderator, Momoketi Lijani. Let's give her another round of applause, please. And of course, to our panelists uh, for a robust uh, discussion. Uh, skills, a clear narrative that uh, acts as the fuel for execution, um, as well as an all-of-society approach that helps us to all carry our pieces of execution and action. Ladies and gentlemen, we're moving on now from our panel discussion, and we're moving on to a video.